from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Sharing her story. I feel like you learned so much about yourself and about life in general. This young farmer is taking her social media followers to the field for an education, the outlook for the global economy, and what it means for markets here at home. As cattlemen deal with drought and a lack of hay, winter weather is brewing. There's certainly the potential for some two to four foot snowfall totals in the Southern Rockies. Where forecasters expect that precipitation to fall today on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Drought ticks higher as the country braces for what could be the biggest winter storm of the season. And that could impact areas still facing drought and dryness. Those areas showing up in the latest drought monitor released on Thursday. This week's map shows 27.5% of the country in moderate drought or worse. That's about a half percentage point higher than last week. Now the biggest areas of concern remain portions of the Four Corners region, the Mid-South and Gulf Coast, Iowa also battling drought and dryness with 83% of that state still in some level of drought, a third of the state in the worst two categories. Meanwhile, take a look at this, the latest seven day precipitation forecast from the National Weather Service. Two storms are brewing and expected to bring heavy rains of three to six inches across the south, and that could mean flooding in some places, while to the north, Heavy snows are expected with pockets of the Southern Rockies forecast to get between two and four feet of snow. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says the second system could have a bigger impact on livestock producers. So if we look just first at these two storms coming out late this week and early next week, we'll just focus on these two because that's kind of within the window of certainty. You've got the storms both originating in the same area of the Southwest. From there, the paths diverge a little bit. The first storm takes more of an eastward track to the Atlantic coast. The second one's gonna move through the Midwest. But where those two storms intersect over the Southwest, there's certainly the potential for some two to four foot snowfall totals in the Southern Rockies. They're gonna get blasted with first a little bit of snow at the end of this week and then a big storm early next week. Now, Rippy says this is a hallmark of El Nino. While you can't blame a single storm on El Nino, this pattern where it's a storm pipeline from the Pacific that comes across the Southwest and into the Midwest and East. Without a doubt, this active January forecast is caused by El Nino. That snow expected to come with colder temperatures as well. Now take a look at this. The Great Lakes starting the year with a record low amount of ice cover. As of Wednesday, coverage for the five bodies of water were just 0.3%. Lakes Michigan, Erie, and Ontario with 0% ice coverage. Now experts say a lack of constant cold is the reason the last time waters were this open was back in 2007 and 2016. Meanwhile, parts of the Golden State enjoying a fresh blanket of snow. The National Weather Service issuing winter weather advisories for several mountain passes. Some places, including the UC Berkeley Central Sierra Snow Lab, reporting 12 inches of snow over the past couple of days. Now for the season, they've seen less than 40% of their average snowfall at that location. More snow is expected this weekend. So what's the latest in terms of snow and precipitation? Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has a closer look. 
Yeah, no surprise here. A change in the pattern overall, more of an active pattern. I, I won't say colder quite yet. I think we're about seven to 10 days away uh, from talking about cold air coming back across the United States. First, it's this active pattern. So what you're going to see is a uh, difference uh, between the precipitation. Uh, you got the snow, but also the rain. Ample moisture coming through as we open up the Gulf of Mexico coming up this weekend. And this is going to be the first of uh, two systems uh, that could cause some problems across the United States. The first one is mainly going to come together as a uh, winter storm for the northeast and the east coast. So again, there's Friday at 5 p.m. See that energy work in and across the United States as we combine not only the snow, but also the rain back down into the south. That's Saturday at 9 a.m. This is going to lift up to the north and to the east and start to uh, deepen as a surface low pressure system and bring some of the, uh, the snow, rain, and also wind into portions of the northeast, specifically possibly New York City, maybe four to five inches of snowfall, and then more so back and away from the Atlantic Ocean. A system number two taking shape right back there, and we'll talk more about those impacts coming up in Maine weather. Drought continues to plague the state of Louisiana. Currently 99.9% .9 of that state is in some level of drought. It's also hurt hay supplies for cattle producers trying to survive the winter. As LSU Ag Center's Craig Gotro reports. The weather has not been kind to Louisiana cattle and hay producers. According to an LSU Ag Center report, these two agricultural entities lost more than $360 million in 2023. Herd numbers in the state are at their lowest since the early 1960s. People are setting higher standards and they're being a little bit more critical with their cows, so they're culling more because we don't have the forages to be able to feed them. How hot and dry was it? Temperatures were three degrees higher and rainfall was 44% lower between May and October than the four-year average. Where it really affected us was on our hay production. We were right at 1,500 rolls short on what we normally bale. The higher temperatures also stress cattle, especially calves. This stress led to much lower weights when the cattle went to the sale barns. Across the state, what we're kind of looking at is about 125 to 150 pound average lower on calves um, at all weight ranges and all ages being sold. Edwards said winter forages are hit and miss across the state. Those that received recent rains have improved grazing conditions. Disaster payments have given producers some relief. And that's what's helped us buy some extra hay and buy some feed for these calves. Marsalis is holding cattle up to two months longer to get more weight on them. If he can get more weight, there is a small silver lining. Prices were good this year, so even though the weights were down, we did see higher prices per pound or per hundred weight. Edwards expects to see lower calf birth weights in the spring, and producers should closely monitor these calves during their first 24 hours. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotro reporting. And Michelle Rook is in Tucson for us at this year's Water Street Solutions Edge Conference. And Michelle, Thursday started with a look at how the global economy could impact ag markets in the year ahead. Clinton, speakers here at the conference tell me that the global recession will continue to apply pressure to grain, hog, and dairy markets into 2024. Plus, the U.S. is continuing to be undercut in the global export market by a strong U.S. dollar and a rising dominance in South American production. So one of the things that I would tell you. Ag economist Dr. David Cole told farmers China's economic growth rate was at only 2 to 4 percent in 2023. As a result, U.S. exports to China were down 40 percent, and that trend will stay that way through 2030. We look at this global economy, we're in a global economic slowdown. Number one, China, uh, because of its demographic issues and also because of the exports being down China, not only 
around the world, but the United States and Europe, along with uh, the European economy uh, kind of being in recessional times. Cole says at the same time, South American agricultural production is expanding. Each year, land equal to half the size of Illinois goes into production in Brazil. So the U.S. is becoming a secondary provider. In other words, uh, Asia and China, are they going to go to the southern hemisphere, whether it's Brazil, New Zealand, Australia, etc. They'll go there first. Now, if uh, they can't supply them, then they come to the United States. And so that's going to pick up more and more steam. Those export customers are also going away from the U.S. dollar and creating their own currency. As a result, Cole says farmers will see tighter profit margins and need to globalize and future-proof their operations. You keep your business very financially liquid with working capital. Keep your cash, keeps your options open. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Now she'll be right back to talk Thursday's markets and take a longer look at the trends in today's markets now. And later, take a tour of Ag with Emma. This social media sensation is taking life and learning on the farm to a whole new audience. Ag Day's coverage of Water Street Solutions 2024 Edge Conference in Tucson, Arizona is brought to you by Water Street Solutions, helping farmers navigate the commodity terrain. Learn more at waterstreetag.com. that helped the Dow to surge in early trade Thursday while commodity markets saw a mixed day of trade. Michelle Rook has more in Markets Now from the Water Street Solutions Edge Conference. Joining us with Markets is Arlen Suderman with StoneX and Arlen, uh, Thursday's market closes in the grays. We were mixed, but soybeans down. We continue to kind of remove some South American weather premium, right? Yeah, we really did. It's raining. You got to feed the bull every day. And right now we're missing that fodder. We may still see lower production estimates, probably will. Um, depending on what the weather does from here on out. But for now, the rains are there. We've done some chart damage, uh, so the algos are selling that as well and the momentum trading algos and uh, pushing it lower. So are the funds short or are they going short? They're moving in that transition now as well. And, and this goes along with what we've been doing in the broader commodity sector. Soybeans is one of those rare commodities along with live cattle. They had not been short. They had had long positions, and now they're liquidating in those two commodities to go short as well. So, Arlen, we've been taking out weather premium in the soybeans, but how much smaller do you think this Brazil crop really is? Yeah, our, our farmer survey came out with a 152.8 million metric tons. I think that probably goes lower, and then those farmer surveys tend to overshoot it, and you get a bounce back. We're probably, we could go as low as the upper 140s at this point. A lot still on the rope, but that's the most likely, somewhere either side of 150. And wheat ended higher, so was that just some technical short covering or this pullback in the dollar? No, the wheat market's really trying to put in a bottom. And uh, with added risks in the Black Sea being a concern, we've taken out with the China purchases, we've taken out the surplus soft red winter wheat. That's really kind of where we saw the strength. Um, and so, and we've got some cold air coming in. And we've kind of bounced off the contract lows in the corn market, but can we go much farther than that? We can. Corn is probably the weakest right now. That's where the biggest short positions are at. That's where vulnerability is at. We'll see what the January crop report says. Um, that'll really set the tone in the next 30 days. And then after that, do we start looking at the safrina crop in Brazil? Yeah, the safrina or winter corn crop it needs to get planted right behind harvesting the soybean crop. That's where you get the most variability when Brazil has problems. Thanks for joining us. That is Arlen Suderman with Stonex, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up.
start kind of right where we left off, uh, looking at uh, not only the lines or what's going on with the jet stream, but what we have at the surface. This is that first system coming through this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Not a lot of moisture back up here to the north, but there should be enough to put down at least a few inches of snowfall into Minnesota, Wisconsin, as well as into parts of the Midwest all rain and possibly some severe weather into parts of Florida and the southeast, not only with this system, but the second one as well. Uh, this one is going to track uh, this first system more to the south, so it really doesn't deepen and ramp up until it gets towards the east coast and lifts to the northeast. That's when these lines really start to come together and you get more of a classic nor'easter type system leaving to the northeast. Uh, in its wake, so this is Sunday at 6 a.m. Uh, you have some scattered showers, some light snow into the Midwest, and then our next system that is going to put down a good amount of snowfall, especially in the higher elevations in the Rockies, uh, coming up Sunday and into Monday. As this evolves from the west to the east, it's going to deepen a lot earlier than this first one, uh, giving way to more of a northerly track, a north to northeast track through the Midwest rather than on the east side of it. So again, there's Sunday at about 7 p.m. Looking at what's going on in the jet stream, this will take us through the weekend and also next week because I, I do want to show you some of that colder air that's going to take shape and settle in and across the United States next weekend. So this is a jet stream coming up on Monday. You can see how this trough is a lot deeper for next week than the one that we're expected this weekend, which is going to be a little bit more shallow. Again, there's Monday into Tuesday and Wednesday. This low is going to track mainly through the Midwest at the surface, the trough is going to support uh, this as it moves off to the northeast as well, Tuesday and into Wednesday. This, again, that's three systems. I told you it was going to be an active pattern. That is where we start to bring in some of that colder air, which is going to stick around for a little bit longer into the weekend and next week. You see how more of that purple and these white lines dig farther to the south. And again, that's going to flip things over to a much colder forecast. And not Thursday, not Friday, but next week, the 7 to 10 day period, look for things to start to cool back down. There's a look at the temperature outlook January 9th through the 13th. And what we just talked about starting to show up in the temperature outlook. Snow to rain, Fort Scott. A snow to rain with a high around 39 degrees and a low of 32. Idaho, Rexburg. Morning showers high around 31 degrees, low of 17. And we'll leave you in Nevada, Hawaii. Partly cloudy. Drought continues to cause concern for ships passing through the Panama Canal. After months of battling shipping delays due to low water levels, the Panama Canal now has a plan to address the backlogs and delays. Now, according to Bloomberg, the Canal Authority is looking at several short and long-term fixes that include everything from pumping or tunneling to bring water from other sources or reservoirs to damming up the Indio River and funneling that water five miles to the canal. Now, the Panama Canal handles 46% of containers moving from the Northeast Asia to the U.S. East Coast. Truck owners, especially those that pull a trailer, here's a new recall to tell you about. Ford announcing a recall of more than 112,000 F-150 pickup trucks because of a rollaway risk. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says a rear axle hub bolt in some of the vehicles might break and that could cause the truck to roll away when in park or lose drive power. The recall includes F-150s, 
from 2021 through 2023 that are equipped with the Trailer Tow Max Duty Package. Now Ford is working on a fix. The company says drivers who hear a clicking or rattling noise should take their vehicle to a dealership. One of the best things about social media is the ability to share information. Up next, we'll meet a young farmer telling her story one video at a time. Curiosity is the foundation of learning. It's also the basis of every social media post from Ag with Emma. Tyne Morgan introduces us to this up-and-coming influencer building a following on the basis of curiosity and hard work. From glimpses of harvest to a peak at producing crops in the Northern Plains. I'm Emma, I'm a farmhand in North Dakota, and I'm gonna take you on another crop tour. This 22-year-old's journey in Ag is truly unique. There's not a lot of people in my situation that can openly like travel to go network with people and see their farm and showcase what their family has built on generations. And I just think it's a really cool opportunity to be able to show that. There wasn't a blueprint or playbook to follow. Instead, Ag with Emma was born out of a curiosity to share what she knew. I started sharing ag facts every day on my story, like, oh, there's only 10 GMOs or cows have four different stomach compartments. And then I decided I wanted to make that more of a public story, so I created a different account. She says her grandparents then started asking questions about what she did at work, and that sparked another idea. Anyone can share an ag fact on the internet, you know, um, but when you start personalizing those facts and your story, then that's what really makes a difference with your audience and other people that want to learn about the industry. Today, Ag with Emma's YouTube account has 170,000 subscribers, some of her videos racking up more than 32 million views. I never liked being in front of a camera and I still kind of get shy about it, but I, since I use my phone, it's like it's kind of more natural. So that's how I started. I just wanted to share facts and I started sharing facts and then I just started sharing my story. But taking risks and going the unconventional route has become Emma's MO. So I kind of grew up in agriculture. It's not a typical family farm background. Um, I did have various experiences. Not growing up on a farm, Emma went to a community college in Southern Idaho to get her associate's degree. After that, she took the logical next step and enrolled at a university. But once I got into the university stuff, I decided that, because I was a transfer student, it's always a little harder as a transfer student, I personally think. Um, because you get to this new university with a bunch of big classes and you don't feel as connected. She felt trapped, so just a month into her second semester, she decided to drop out. There are so many people out here and so many people willing to take a chance on you and like help you learn that you shouldn't have to sit in a desk at school to pay for things you don't really like. She left school and started working on a farm in southern Idaho and then started working with a custom harvesting crew. My parents thought I was crazy. Like, my parents always supported me, but they can still think you're crazy. I've always been the academically goal-based kid with like a 4.0. I had a bunch of scholarships, so when I dropped out, everyone was like, Emma, what are you doing? But that risk has turned into so many more opportunities, more than even Emma imagined. It's just fun and it's cool, and I love to work hard, so when I'm home at the end of the day and I'm exhausted, I love it. And it's just, you get to learn new things all the time because you never stop learning. And with that, the 2022 season comes to an end. And in that first year, Emma's journey was packed full with too many lessons and memories to even count. There's just something about agriculture that 
you just, I feel like you learn so much about yourself and about life in general that you just feel way more connected to your job. All right, thanks, Tyne, and that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Gervis. Have a great day.